1886, there were no streetlights between the Mount Nebo Church just outside of Delta, Pennsylvania, and what is now Cooper Road. There were no homes or garages along the way with floodlights or dusk-to-dawn LED illuminations. There may have been a few homes with candles in the window or gas lamps glowing dimly from a room where someone read or did their evening work. All this is to note that the mile or so between the place where Mount Nebo Church sat on Slate Hill and Cooper Road would have been quite dark and equally lonesome in the fall of 1886. Nehemiah Nemia Cooper, his wife Mary, and some unnamed friends were making their way home from evening services at Mount Nebo Church in the autumn of 1886 when they saw something on the ground which caught their attention. It seemed small at first, about the size of a bucket, but it sprang up from the ground, revealing its massive size. They described it as a strange monster, 12 to 15 feet tall and 6 or 7 feet across at the shoulders. Being that it was late October, they first assumed that the creature to be a prank, or perhaps a Halloween trick of some sort, so they began to pelt the monster with stones. When the creature began to advance on the party, they realized that it was no trick, and, discretion being the better part of valor, they decided the safety of a home was a better place to spend their night than a dark and lonely road. There's no shortage of stories about Bigfoot throughout the world. But sometimes the stories that enter the public consciousness leave out key elements that are relayed by the witnesses. Big hairy hominids chasing glowing spheres of light, aquatic Sasquatch-like creatures, or even an encounter with a vanishing Bigfoot rarely makes the headlines. Authors Joshua Cutchin and Timothy Renner examine all aspects of the Bigfoot phenomena in their two-volume work, Where the Footprints End. Tonight, Along with my guest hosts, I'll be taking a look at the first volume, so get ready for some high strangeness with hairy hominids. I'm your host Jason, and you're listening to the Esoteric Book Club. Welcome back, goblins. You're listening to the Esoteric Book Club. And tonight, I have two special guests from the Cosmic Sponge podcast. Would you guys like to introduce yourself? I am Jimmy Coe, one half of the Cosmic Sponge podcast hosting group. And this is Stephen Hawk, international man of mystery. Now, for those of us who don't necessarily know, what is the Cosmic Sponge podcast? So the Cosmic Sponge podcast, as we like to say, uh, we talk about UFOs and other weird wonders in the world. We primarily started out doing just UFOs and a few other odds and ends here and there, but we've discovered that our listeners tend to like the cryptids. Uh, so we, we've been adding some paranormal cryptid stuff, you know, Bigfoot. Uh, we recently had a guest on a couple of weeks ago with uh, spiritualism and mediums, you know, psychic sort of thing. So I've been learning a lot as we've been going along. It's uh, been a lot of fun. All right. Well, tonight we are actually talking about Bigfoot and the book titled Where the Footprints End, High Strangeness and the Bigfoot Phenomena, Volume 1. Yes, it's big enough that there's two volumes by Joshua Cutchin and Timothy Renner. 
these guys also have podcasts, and that's where I ran into them in the first place. Uh, Timothy is a frequent guest on Where Did the Road Go? And he has his own show called Strange Familiars, which is based out of York County, Pennsylvania. And Josh is a guest on both Where Did the Road Go? and Strange Familiars. But we actually got to meet them in person, at least Timothy. We got to meet Timothy in person at the Cryptid Bash in Morgantown a few months ago. Which was pretty cool. And I got to, uh, I went ahead and purchased one of his pieces. He's not just an, an author and he's not just a podcaster. He is also an artist and he's actually quite good. And I purchased one of his, I think it was the last one he had up at the time. And uh, I got it for Steve and sent it down to him. He has it hanging there somewhere in his house. Hell yeah. Actually, I forgot where I put it. <laughs> I, know, I, I know it's around here somewhere. When you started saying, hey, man, you know, gave that Bigfoot picture to Steve. And I'm like, I've, I've passed him picture? a lot of artwork here recently, so it's hard for him to keep up. Yeah, just kidding. It's it's hanging up back in the jam room. Have you guys heard any of these really bizarre Bigfoot stories that pop up in this book? The last story, Ape Canyon, I'd heard before. But I think the majority of the stuff in here is new to me. Um, I, again, we're mainly UFO focused. And even the UFO stuff, we had heard some of the the theories behind the connection between UFOs and Bigfoot. But the specificity of the information that's in that particular chapter of the book was beyond stuff that I had touched on or looked at. So it was a, it was a treat, really, to go through the book. The book reminded me quite a bit of a book by a different author, really well-known individual in the UFO field, uh, Jacques Vallée, uh, French national. He published a book in 1969 called Passport to Magonia, which is referenced in this book. And it was one of the first times or perhaps the first time in print where the author was looking beyond just well, let me back up a little bit. So the UFO phenomena had always been looked at as a physical manifestation as, okay, we have flying saucers presumably coming from outer space and studying the earth or collecting soil samples and all this sort of thing. But he was one of the first authors, if not the first author to put forth or compare how European mythology of gnomes and elves and you know, fairies had a lot of parallels to the UFO phenomenon. You know, the small statured individuals, somewhat mischievous, some of those sort of things. And so in that particular book, Jacques Vallée, very similar to this book, brings in all kinds of different encounters that reinforce that idea of like, hey, this isn't just a spaceship coming down. Why would they do these very unusual things? So this author has done the same thing with the Bigfoot book. And, you know, in it, they point out a lot of unexplained phenomena that can go along with many Bigfoot sightings. So I found it pretty fascinating in that, I, and like Jimmy said, I, I know there was a documentary that just came out maybe a few months ago where they're discussing the UFO uh, connection to Bigfoot and how you know, often lights are seen around Bigfoot and everything, but these authors really took it quite a few steps further and found, just dug up tons of stories that had unexplained phenomena around Bigfoot that you can't say, hey, this is a hominid, an unknown species. You know, if it's an unknown species, how does it do this? Or 
why does this behavior sometimes manifest itself? And, and also compared it to other, other creatures such as fairies, witches, UFO aliens. So, yeah, very in-depth, very thorough. It's interesting you bring up Jacques Vallée's book because I just ordered Passport to Magonia yesterday to read in anticipation for another podcast here in, I want to say, two months. Yeah, it's an awesome book. A little bit of a teaser for everybody. It's, it's a great book. Yeah, I, I, I like his ideas because, you know, Jimmy and I first got into our podcast with UFOs. One thing that kind of spurred us was all the extra attention recently within the past few years of the Navy videos. And, you know, it's a subject I've always been interested in. I've always been interested in Bigfoot and paranormal and all that in a very casual sense. I love the unknown, love the unexplained. But when Jimmy and I started talking, you know, we've known each other for many years, but then we started realized we had this common interest. And so we're like, hey, why don't we do a podcast about this? And we'll kind of explore a lot of these things together. We didn't start this podcast as a couple of experts in the UFO field or the paranormal field or any field. We're just a couple of casual guys that are doing the research and digging into it. And I've learned so much just in the past few months of things I, I didn't know just because we're you know, zeroing in on some of these cases. Well, speaking of the cases, was there any specific one that jumped out to either of you? Well, I'm thinking, I don't know. I mean, that that last case, because uh, there was a little bit more detail than I was familiar with, with Ape Canyon. Um, so that stood out a little bit, but th- really the things that drew me in were things I'd never heard about before. And I was looking for tidbits of information that we could use to launch our own uh, episodes on things like one of the things that stood out to me is the Cow Cowlitz Indian tribe had this uh, incident around Mount St. Helens, Helens, where they had apes that lived over the, uh, near the mountain for 300 years. And tribes people claimed to see white birds without wings that would go vertical and come back down. And that's in chapter four, um, where he covers aliens and these large ape-like men that lived around Mount St. Helens. So I thought that was something I'm going to have to dive down into. And they also theorized that maybe, and this is this was really wild, a little bit beyond what I'm comfortable with, that maybe the Bigfoot phenomenon are actually devolved aliens from Venus or Saturn. <laughs> I think they came up with that somewhere in the 1960s, I want to say, was the time about that time where they were coming up with a theory and I can't remember which group it was. It's, it's in that chapter. And then there's this claim that a lot of abductees in while they're in the craft claim to see Bigfoot like creatures and almost subservient to the pilots of the craft. So I'd heard that before, but this was a little bit more detail on that. And there's some great stuff starting on page 93 about Bigfoot with goggles. (laughs) <laughs> I just say anybody out there, if if you want to get in this book quick, jump to page ninety three. I found the the very first story, of course, which is what is is definitely the setup uh, of you know, of course, a, a UFO being sighted in Pennsylvania and multiple witnesses, and then this individual goes down to explore it and um, takes his thirty out six, and I don't remember the story verbatim, but you know, it turns out there's there's Bigfoot around. He shoots at a couple of them, and apparently to no effect. And they totally ignore him, just keep following this fence line. 
also he seemed to become possessed at some point during it, uh, almost as if he's, you know, turned into some kind of animal himself. Multiple witnesses in this whole whole case, and and yeah, that one was was one to get your attention. But Jimmy, you had mentioned those hairy aliens. You know, there have been other reports of, especially the small ones, which some people will call little feet. You know, because they're small, hairy hominids. Those, those are actually not really common in UFO abductee uh, experiences, but there's um, there definitely are reports occasionally of these small, hairy creatures that I guess would be similar to Bigfoot. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, that first story happened just outside of Uniontown, which is right up the street from me, because I'm yeah. in Morgantown, and I, I don't know, it's like a 15-minute drive, seven minutes if you drive my speed. But it's it's just right up there in that area somewhere. That's close to home. I love it. And I think there was wasn't there like an uh, a craft or something in that story as well, mm-hmm. like some lights or something. Yeah. The uh, in addition to the craft, I believe the Bigfoot was chasing spheres or orbs of light along the fence line. Yeah. And when they were shot, it wasn't so much that it didn't affect them, but there was a noise like bullets striking water which is a very strange detail. But yeah, the the possession of the Bigfoot of the guy who shot him afterwards, that's the only time I've ever heard that one. That one is so bizarre. And I think you're right. He just threw the strangest one right at us, right off the bat. But it's a good launching pad for the rest of the book. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. He did a very nice comparison in each chapter. One thing that he pointed out right quickly and I think I think the idea is there's a lot of things attributed to to Bigfoot, and one is the wood knocks and the the pebbles or stones being thrown into people's camps or onto their cabins if they live remotely, that sort of thing. And he says, well, nobody has really seen a Bigfoot doing this or in in, in that particular time, but they're always attributed to Bigfoot. And and he gives a lot of other examples of what what else it could be as far as folklore is concerned such as poltergeists or ghosts or you know it could be any number of things that i guess are mythical or or i guess you know fantastic type creatures that it but it's always attributed to bigfoot and all the way through the book was a thread of that most bigfoot researchers want to consider bigfoot a flesh and blood creature but there's just so many sightings and and unusual happenings around bigfoot that say there's more going on here than just uh, an unknown species, an unknown North American ape. And I, you know, it was really neat. I, I, for me personally, uh, I think the jury's still out for me. I, I agree with a lot of those very strange. Uh, it was interesting to read those. I, I don't know if I definitely go along with it. but Yeah, I think in the beginning of the book, right, he, um, he states very clearly that the book's to be considered a thought experiment. So each chapter, a thought experiment in exploring possibilities beyond the normal mainstream look at Bigfoot and in an effort specifically, I think, to tackle some of these encounters where there's strange events that don't fit into a more natural explanation of what's going on with Bigfoot. So I really appreciated that distinction made at in, early on in the book. And that allowed me to just really have a lot of fun with it because I tend to be a more analytical mind, a more science-based. A lot of this stuff, I have trouble uh, really honestly believing or going down into the rabbit hole on it. Now, the UFO stuff, I'm 
I'm pretty much right there. I mean, I'm that stuff I can grasp and it makes a lot of sense to me. But when you get further away from that and you get into stuff like ghost and, and I, I did not enjoy this. <laughs> I did not enjoy the ghost uh, chapter, which is chapter seven. And I didn't enjoy the second chapter, though some of it was fun. The Weltnisgeist, which is wilderness spirit in German. That was uh, interesting. I learned a couple of things in there I didn't know because I'm not a big, big foot uh, aficionado. I'm learning as I go along. But uh, they have this thing called Class B reports, which is just, I guess, is like close encounters of the first or second kind where you don't have a lot of direct evidence. You have all of the circumstantial evidence that would I think that would be like the the tree banging on the trees and throwing rocks from an unknown location, that kind of thing. I, I didn't get into those so much, but surprisingly, I did enjoy the witches chapter. That was <laughs> that was actually a lot of fun. And the woman in white, I'd never that was totally new to me. That's the last chapter in the book that fascinated me. That's stuff I'd never heard before. I'd never heard it in conjunction with Bigfoot. It's a pretty standard haunted roadside story. You know, you pick up a hitchhiker. It's a lady. She's wearing white. You realize halfway down the road, she's not wearing shoes. You get to a graveyard, she disappears. But all of that in conjunction with Bigfoot and different encounters with, say, the old hag, the right. the witches in the, the swamps, puts a whole new spin on it and kind of ties in almost to the, the Banshee mythology as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they mentioned that in there. And I was I'd never even thought I would have never gone there. So this book is all the places I would never even think to go. And really, that's a unique thing based on, uh, I believe, Joshua. Uh, Joshua Cutchin is a very big researcher into the Irish folklore for fairy mythology. So he has that background. And at some point, they started talking and they were like, man, there's a lot of connections between the two that people are just really ignoring for the flesh and blood hypothesis. You know, it's a big hairy ape. It's a physical creature. But there's so much back and forth where... You know, Bigfoot just disappears. He walks behind a tree and you never see him again. That's not necessarily something a physical entity could do. Right. So to see these comparisons, it's it's really nice that it's not, they don't really seem to have any specific agenda when they present this to you. They just say, okay, here's the Bigfoot encounters and here's other things that have the same attributes that we're looking at. We need to take this into consideration. Hey, hey, you. Yeah, you. Do you like this show? Is it worth, I don't know, a dollar? If so, I would really appreciate it if you would join my Patreon. Patrons get access to exclusive episodes, extended episodes, and sometimes, if I have it completed, I'll release an episode early just for them. Those who pledge at the highest tier, such as Samantha Shaver, even get mentioned by name on every single episode. So if you want to help out the show, follow the Patreon link in the show notes below. Now, back to the episode. What did you think about the gifting chapter, <laughs> chapter five? I love that story with Mike. Is that the guy that left the food in the cooler? Yeah, and yeah. And then he forgot to take it and they followed him home. Yeah, that was a great story. Yeah, I like where they they say it several times in there that people would get gifts of dead mice wrapped in leaves. <laughs> it's like that's like uh, Christmas time when you get that strange uh, church fruit from your grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> it's the thought that counts, but you know, 
the gift itself sucks. So the guy left gifts in a cooler out in the woods. And when he ceased to do that, the Bigfoot tracked him down at his home. It's quite a vast distance between where he was leaving the gifts and his home. So they tried to explain it saying, oh, maybe they left pheromones on the bumper of your vehicle or something like that. But on top of that, you know, the Bigfoot was traveling at a very vast rate of speed just to get there to harass this guy in the time between when he left the camp to get home. Yeah, it's like 50 miles. <laughs> yeah, it was very far away. It was something like an hour and a hour and a half drive. And he had to take two different interstates, if I recall. And I thought it was funny. The funniest thing about that story to me was his wife, first of all, says, <laughs> I don't believe that, you know. And um, and then what was it whenever they're out there messing with him? She says, what'd you do now? Or something like that, you know. You dummy, you brought these things home. <laughs> yeah, she made him go apologize. Get out there and apologize to them. <laughs> and my PJs, honey, come on. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was pretty awesome. You know, one thing I'd like to point out about this book, it is so thorough. I counted 1,447 footnotes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 94 pages of footnotes. So the book ends on like page 211 and it goes to 306. So it's. Yeah. These guys researched. And footnotes and oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I was telling my wife about it uh when I was part way or near the end and I said, I think there's must be about five hundred and six hundred footnotes, and then I actually counted them and it's like <laughs> literally almost fifteen hundred footnotes. Jeez. That's uh that's a lot of research. That is a lot of research. And that's one of the main reasons there's two volumes in this. Right. It would have just been a thousand page volume at the end if they had kept it in one book. And the last 300 pages would be footnotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This one's called Folklore. The second one, what, what's the second one called? It focuses on, on anomalies uh, related to specific sightings. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That, that'll be an interesting one. I think I'm going to pick it up as well. Now, we've talked about some of the ones that really grabbed your attention. Which were the ones that you thought were a bit of a stretch? The entire ghost chapter. <laughs> <laughs> and the poltergeist chapter, the Vildenheist. To be fair to you know everybody out there who's into that, I am a doubting Thomas when it comes to stuff. I am, I do not have an open mind. It's hard for me to get there. I just I, my brain's not wired that way. I'm an engineer, so my brain's sort of not wired that way. It's really hard for me to give a fair shake to anything that falls under that umbrella. So that's why I wasn't into it. Yeah, I mean, I think in all fairness, all the the entire book is is there to draw these comparisons again. Of here's the folklore, here's the legends about ghosts, the Lady in White of witches, and let's find some cases of Bigfoot that maybe share some of those same type of um, attributes within the sightings. So, yeah, somewhere a stretch, like you're saying, the ghost. And, and I mean, I kind of see the poltergeist thing in a way. And, the, and then, you know, it's kind of interesting. Speaking of poltergeist activity, I was doing my research for Mothman, a little bit of an aside. And did you know that uh, one of the couples, I believe in that very first sighting, Jimmy, I know you've been doing your research, too, um, of the Mothman ended up uh, having all kinds of poltergeist activity at their house with, mm -hmm. uh, within the next few weeks. And they ended up moving out, moved into like her parents' basement <laughs> or something like 
they couldn't stay. It was a rented trailer and they said they couldn't stay there anymore. It was so much poltergeist activity. So, you know, uh, that was fresh in my mind when I was reading some of that. And, um, you know, I just don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, granted, you know, they cherry pick a little bit, I guess, you know, to try and find those cases that fit each one of these. And some of them are a little bit of a stretch and I can't think of anything specifically, but at the same time, you know, I get where they're coming from. And and it's sort of like everyone that wants to believe, everyone that wants to believe Bigfoot is a flesh and blood creature will put the blinders on when it comes to why did the footprints end in the middle of a field? Okay, there's nothing around, you know, did he back his way out in the same footprints? I mean, it just doesn't seem logical for some animal, you know, and there's there's quite a few cases like that. And I think they make a good argument for saying sometimes when these phenomena are present in a sighting, it's, you know, they they choose to ignore that fact, you know, same, and we see a lot of that with UFO reports as well, you know, where you have in your mind that you want it to fit a certain criteria of like, okay, I believe all UFO invaders or, or all UFOs or all occupants of UFOs are space aliens. So if there's something that doesn't quite fit that category, you just leave it out <laughs> or you assume the witness didn't see it correctly. But, you know, there's all kinds of sightings of, of Bigfoot just literally disappearing. So there's a, there's a lot in there about Bigfoot maybe being able to turn invisible or to be able to phase through objects and, and those sort of things. Uh, so so it, with all that being said, I, I mean, quite a bit of it's a stretch, but in a way that the whole phenomenon is a stretch in a way. I think if you believe that Bigfoot's flesh and blood, you just absolutely believe that, and this is not the book for you. No, definitely not. Unless you want to open your mind a little bit and and you know, just listen to some of these reports and see what you make of it. You, you know, the Bigfoot stuff, while this sort of focuses on tying Bigfoot to explanations that are outside of the normal feel of stuff, I would say even if you're uh, a big advocate for Bigfoot is flesh and blood, this is a great book nonetheless because it has tons of stuff in here. I didn't even know about like this yosling stuff in chapter six. I love the witches chapter, which is weird because I'm normally not into witches, ghosts, poultry guys, that kind of stuff. But I, I like old B horror films. So uh, <laughs> yoslings, I never heard of before these proto humans from the book of Colburn. So that's going to open up a whole new, probably a two parter episodes for us at some point. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff in here like that of stories I'd never heard before. These guys did a ton of research and pulled stuff out of history. I, I just would never have heard of otherwise. Yeah, it's amazing, really. I mean, I mean, there's so many cases they cover in here. We couldn't even begin to scratch the surface of it. Some are very quickly handled. Just a, it may say there was a case in Pennsylvania where two people saw a Bigfoot step out of a, a UFO. And that may be it, maybe a paragraph, but that still there's this, there's this case after case in here. Uh, and again, it's trying to drive really the overall theme is just Bigfoot can't be a flesh and blood undiscovered ape or just a hominid. If all of these other things are true. And as strange as these, these spiritual Bigfoot encounters, like where he vanishes, that all goes back to a lot of First Nation lore in the first place, which they touch on in this book quite a bit, especially at West Coast tribes. 
Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that because it gets overlooked a lot. And a lot of flesh and blood researchers completely ignore that aspect, even though the First Nation tribes are sitting there saying, yeah, this is this is normal. This is what happens. Right, right. Yeah, it spans actually the globe. So uh, indigenous tribes around the world have these wild men stories of these very large, hairy men all over the globe. We were talking about New Zealand, uh, no, Papua New Guinea. Uh, mm. a week or so ago and a case with father Gill and a UFO sighting. And I think we, that was one or no, it was the New Zealand, the New Zealand episode. episode. Yeah. We were talking about, yeah, a case where wild men had were seen on the Island there in a certain location and attacked people as they'd come down the river exploring. I mean, these are every indigenous people all across the globe. And you're right. You just can't discount this stuff. You got to at least look at it and maybe it's just myth and legend, but at the same time, there's a lot you can tie into uh, sightings of Bigfoot that are happening even today. It's very interesting. Now, one one thing that I learned from this, and I don't remember what chapter it's in, but he talks about how flesh and blood believers, and he calls it the F and B H, which means flesh and blood hypothesis. That's proponents of again of it being just a natural creature. So there are reports of people becoming disoriented or your cameras malfunction or electrical interference, these sort of phenomena that are often uh, attributed with UFO encounters. But there is a concept that perhaps Bigfoot has some type of ultrasound, not ultrasound, what they call it? Do you guys remember? Infrasound. Infrasound, right. Meaning this very low uh, sub-audible frequency. Now, we know some animals have this. Elephants have that, for instance. We've been able to de- detect that from, you know, using sensitive equipment in the wild. So some people have hypothesized that Bigfoot is able to use some type of sub-audible sound wave to disorient people to cause you to become confused and also to uh, it causes your camera to malfunction and things like that. That's the first time I've ever heard that. Yeah. I made a note. My note reads super freaking awesome. Paralyzing Bigfoot mind ninjas. (laughs) (laughs) And there is a unique connection there too, between infrasound and the electromagnetic, basically EMF frequencies, Mm -hmm. because you get a very similar effect to the infrasound that you would if you were around a big electromagnetic field, say created by uh, power lines or something, you get that same fear response and same paranoia and sometimes paralysis. Mm-hmm. So what, what was your take on that? Do you think that's a, a viable phenomenon? I think if we're going with flesh and blood, the infrasound definitely makes a lot of sense, especially if it's triggering paranoia. So I don't, are you guys deer hunters at all? Not actively. I've, I've hunted in the past. I was out once. I never saw a deer. It was raining. It was cold. I was miserable. I said, I'm going fishing. I finally figured out at some point that like, you know, sitting in a tree stand all day, freezing my tail off, trying to convince myself I was having fun. Wasn't really fun. <laughs> Fair enough. But the reason I ask is because I've noticed personally in hunting situations that you know, deer are big. They're not a tiny animal and they make a lot of noise when they move. Right. But if they choose to hide, they could be standing directly in front of you and you wouldn't see them. 
So if you just have that natural camouflage in conjunction with infrasound, you may not even need the infrasound. If Bigfoot is just camouflaged that well, I don't know. There's there's a lot of possibilities that we don't necessarily have to go to the extreme for, but the idea is super intriguing. Oh, definitely. I've been out in the woods a lot and, uh, you know, scouting and that kind of thing. And I could tell you, you sleep at night and you hear all these sounds around you. Like it sounds like large monsters. It's basically deer for the most part. Every once in a while you get some coyotes. Hey man, a squirrel's very loud. Oh yeah. You know, sounds like a big monster tromping through the woods and you see this little squirrel and like, eh, you know, crazy. But you're right. Those things out in the woods, you'll hear them like crazy. But when you go to look for them and they stop, you're not going to see them. They're, they're practically invisible. Yeah. The natural camouflage, but you know, have you ever been in the woods with a bear when a bear's come through? I've never seen a bear other than crossing an interstate in front of my car. They're very loud. I mean, though, they crash and boom and make all kinds of bracket when they come through the woods. So, you know, you think a bear would be a similar physical characteristic, but on the other hand, it's like a person. If I'm just walking through the woods and I'm not, caring about it i'm going to make a lot of noise in the in the leaves and and all that but then if i'm hunting or i want to be stealthy or sneak up on jimmy or something like that i mean you know (laughs) i'm going to be quiet i'm going to try to be quiet let my natural camouflage you know blend in so (laughs) links to the book where the footprints end including links to signed copies will be posted in the show notes below If you want to hear more from Stephen and Jimmy, check them out on the Cosmic Sponge podcast or at CosmicSponge.com. The conversation continues for patrons, where I talk about my own Bigfoot encounter, so stay tuned. Intro and outro music is from the song Fight Don't Fight, courtesy of Sarah Rudy and her band Hello June. Their music can be found on Bandcamp.com or at WeAreHelloJune.com. Esoteric Book Club can be found on Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, and at esotericbookclub.org. Until next time, remember, stay weird. There was a section in this book, and I, I think it was in this book, let me verify that with you guys, where they were talking about Bigfoot using power lines to travel. Oh, I don't remember reading that. <laughs> I don't remember that either. Okay, this may have been on one of their other podcasts, which, in which case I'll just totally cut this out. But that is something uh, I would like to discuss during the Patreon episode or Patreon okay. extension here. Because I had my own encounter with a Bigfoot, believe it or not. Oh, Ooh, that'd be fun to talk about. Yeah, we'll have to save that for our podcast. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I can do that. <laughs> or whatever. Right. It's your podcast. <laughs> talk about whatever you want. <laughs> we'll do the extension for mine, and then I can actually talk about it on yours as well. So it's right. totally up to you guys. Fantastic. Yeah, the murderous Bigfoot of Portlock. <laughs> Now, there was the uh, the one encounter in Alaska I believe you guys wanted to talk about as well. Yes, definitely. Do you want to touch on any of that here for this podcast? Oh, we can if you want to. Uh, sure. We should at least go ahead and give a little teaser so I can send people your way whenever this episode's done.
Portlock, located in the western tip of the Kenai Peninsula in southern Alaska, sits the remnants of Portlock, a town hastily abandoned in 1950. Having suffered mysterious deaths, supernatural visitations, and the sightings of the Nantunuk, also known as the Big Hairy Man or Half-Man, Half-Beast. The citizens fled, leaving behind their homes and all they knew to escape the cursed town. This and more, coming up. <laughs> 